Hello and welcome to the podcast version of The Good World. Uh, what you are about to listen to was recorded on video, so sometimes there will be allusions to YouTube or things that are happening visibly, um, and you will also hear my dog Charlie in the background, probably, um, and so I apologize if you can't see it, but hopefully you can enjoy the audio version, uh, and you can find the video version at goodworld.love. Thanks. Hello, dog morning. Welcome to the good world. I'm Seth. That's Charlie. Hope you're having a splendid start to your day or end to your day, whenever you're watching this. Who knows? You know, streaming media, non-contiguous. What a, what a world we live in. Oh, man, my, I got my uh, fresh out of the shower look this morning. Did some second day in a row, did some uh, elliptical training very little of it, but just enough to sort of get me into the habit so that I can drop some of this pudge. So this, uh, honestly, as much as anything, uh, I have, you know, some pants and stuff that I would like to fit into, uh, rather than have to, you know, donate or, or get rid of or whatever. Um, so, so, fingers crossed. Here it goes. Uh, though, let's be honest, I also need to, um, need to phase out a lot of my sugar intake. I know, Charlie. Uh, he has tiny beeps. Oh, so many beepy sounds. I know, you're okay. Thank you for those hand licks, though. I appreciate it. I love you, Charlie. Um, so, I know, beeps. I know. So, uh, talking about, um, <laughs> about my sugar intake actually brings me to, to what I wanted to talk about today. Boy, Charlie has a lot of sounds this morning. Um, I don't know if the mic is picking them up, but they are... They are there, I promise you. Um, so, yeah. What I, uh, I, 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 here's some stuff that I've been thinking about recently, and it's, um, it's a little out there, but it also, it's, I don't know, I think it's true, so, and it's, and it's what I think, and this is my channel, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna share it, and you can decide if, uh, if it's too far out there for you or not. Um, but one of the things that I've talked about a lot on this channel is, uh, is the importance of practice and, and building habits and, you know, my, the fact that I got on the elliptical for the second day in a row, even though it was less than 10 minutes, um, is part of building the habit of doing it more. You don't, you, it's, it's really hard to go from never working out to working out full impact every day. Uh, and so, you know, you you sort of ramp up to get your, your brain habituated to it. And I mentioned in yesterday's episode that one of the things that I did to sort of get myself to this point was when I woke up in the morning putting on my workout clothes, not even working out, just getting in the habit of putting on the workout clothes, because then I already have the habit so that yesterday when I decided uh, that I wanted to actually work out, I was already dressed for it. I didn't have to... It, it removed a step. And I realized that that sounds um, very, very like silly and trivial, but one thing that I have learned uh, as someone living with ADHD for my entire life is that um, everything is comprised of lots of tiny little steps. Even, you know, you don't even necessarily realize that a single action can contain multiple steps um, until you have used your ADHD to to do the least possible towards the goal while still moving towards the goal. Um, the, the thing that I could think of in my head is that, um, in our old house in Washington, D.C., we had two floors. There was a, there was an entrance level floor and then the bedroom, uh, and the, there was also a guest bedroom and an office upstairs. Um, 
Ed. I know, Charlie. Um, and not infrequently, when you live in a house that has two different stories, there are things that need to get taken either upstairs or downstairs. Uh, and you would think that, you know, take this, uh, uh, let's say we like acquired a, 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 a map or something that we wanted to put on the wall. We, Susie and I are both really into, um, into maps and sort of the, the like history that they show. Um, quick aside, one of my favorite things, which I will, uh, share with you, I, I, just ordered a new one for Sacramento, so I'll share it with you when it arrives, um, is these, we have these old Soviet maps, um, because the Soviet Union, in the days before Google Maps ex existed, or even the internet, um, mapped pretty much the entire world, and particularly any major city, in case someday they would need to occupy it. So it's, like, heavily biased towards airports and uh, you know, water treatment facilities and, and infrastructure in general. Um, but so I, I have on the way a Soviet map of Sacramento, which I'm pretty psyched about. Anyway, so let's say, uh, let's say the, the Soviet map of Sacramento arrives, we get a frame from the internet, we put it in the frame, and so it needs to go upstairs to the hallway where we, where we have maps on the wall. Uh, you would think that taking it upstairs is one action. Uh, it's not. <laughs> First, there's taking it to the bottom of the stairs and leaving it there for the next time that I go upstairs so that the next time I go upstairs, I, you know, I'm already doing that and so I can be, I guess, a little more efficient is what my brain is trying to do. I don't know. Uh, and then, you know, then it's go and find the hammer and nail and picture hanger uh, and get those into a room adjacent to where the thing is going to go on the wall and then... You know, there, there are a series of steps. It's not one step. And so the more you can actually break things down into those steps and, uh, and work towards them, the more effective you're going to be at, at getting towards your goal. Um, if you're trying to build a habit, you want to you wanna start habituating those steps kind of one at a time. Um, but this is, this is part of a larger thing, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit. Here's the larger thing. Our brains are adaptation machines. Like, above and beyond anything else that our brains can do, they, they are designed to look at the environment around us and adapt to it. And particularly, they adapt to deal more with the things that they encounter more often. Um, and to engage more with the things that they encounter more often. So, you know, I mentioned earlier I want to try to cut back on my sugar intake. My taste buds... Because I grew up eating a lot of sugar, my taste buds have gotten really, really good at tasting sugar, and they really enjoy sugar in a way that they don't, for example, enjoy the salmon that we had for dinner as much. Uh, we had salmon for dinner last night. Susie made a, an amazing, delicious salmon, and, you know, my mouth is like, well, this isn't high fructose corn syrup, so I'm not as into it as I could be. And that is because... Literally, any time in your brain there is a, or not just your brain, your whole nervous system, of which uh, your taste buds are a part, um, any time there is a connection between two parts of your nervous system, that connection gets a little bit stronger. And any time there is a connection that doesn't get used, over time it gets a little weaker. Um, but those, those individual reinforcements don't do a whole lot. It really takes repeated use, and then your brain is like, oh, okay, this is now a thing I need to adapt to. It's not a one-off. This is going to be become a regular thing, and so I need to adapt to it. And so if I ate salmon multiple times a week, 
then my brain would start to be like, oh, okay, we're gonna get some more salmon. Let's like get the salmon gear in place. The same is true for exercise, right? Oh, okay, we need to be able to exercise more. Let's like, let's get ourselves to a point to where we enjoy it. And it's not just a chore that we're telling ourselves to do, but you know, let's, let's adapt the connections in our brain so that, that getting on the elliptical is now a thing that we are like prepared for and engaged with and it's good. And so that's, that is basically what our brains do. Um, I was talking with uh, a good friend of mine who's a, a psychologist a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about evolutionary psychology and, you know, evolutionary psychology is difficult because on the one hand, most psychology is probably evolutionary. On the other hand, it is impossible to prove any of it and it's all just kind of guesswork. Um, but one thing we were talking about is what is your brain fundamentally trying to do? You know, we have all of this cognitive ability and from an adaptation perspective, from a survival perspective, our brains have figured out that the very best thing they can do is use their power sparingly. It is conserve energy. Because thinking really hard takes a lot of energy out of you, right? Like, if you, you know, were in school and you took a test, by the end of it, you're kind of tired. If you read a really dense book, by the end of it, you're kind of tired. If you have a difficult conversation with someone or just think through some difficult things, by the end of it, you're tired. Thinking takes a lot more energy than we often realize. And so our brains have actually evolved to view thinking as a task that requires resources and to be sparing in how often we use those resources of thinking. Um, you know, your, your brain is doing it because it sort of assumes that one day you may get chased by a bear, and so if you're tired from thinking too much about the meaning of life, then you won't be able to get away from the bear. We are fortunate that we, unlike our ancestors, don't live in an, in an environment where we are likely to get chased by a bear. It happens to some people sometimes in some places, but like most of us are not going around our, in our day-to-day -day lives worried about bear attacks. Um, but our brains are still avoiding thinking because they are trying to conserve that energy. And so we form these habits that we don't even realize that we're forming. It's not just habits of eating junk food or exercising. It's also habits of thinking, and particularly habits of, uh, of coming up with reasons not to think, right? If someone, let's say someone comes to you, you're having a conversation, uh, and you say something about, um, let's say you're having a conversation with me, and you say, uh, here's, Here's a good example. Let's say that you're having a conversation with me and you say that, um, well, you know, Jews are very good with money. Um, and I, as, uh, as a Jew who, you know, has, has dealt with stereotyping and has inherited a lot of like trauma from anti-Semitic violence, am gonna be, I mean, I, I, I like to think I'm gonna take it better than some others, uh, but some people will get very angry about that. Um, and certainly I will try to point out that that's, that's a stereotype, and even though it sounds like a positive stereotype, um, treating any group of people with a very broad brush is not actually, a, a, it's, it's never a compliment, um, even if it seems like it is. Uh, lumping me in with all Jews when I am one person, and part of my identity is that I grew up Jewish, you know, you're, it, it, it feels like you're ignoring a huge part of me. Uh, that's sort of beside the point, but let's say I say that. Let's say I react angrily. 
your immediate reaction is going to be to dismiss my anger and to say that it's my problem and to say that you didn't do anything wrong. And what that is, is a habit in your brain because one of our deepest habits is when we are challenged to dismiss the idea that we did anything wrong and to tell ourselves we don't really have to think about it, we're fine. You know, this person is angry, that's their problem, I, I'm just doing my thing, I don't need to think another second about this person's pain. Um, and, you know, the truth is, need to is maybe not the right term, you don't need to think about someone else's pain, but you can. You can, and, and even though your immediate instinct is to feel threatened by it, you can get past that immediate instinct, and that is a habit. And that's a habit that you can change, right? You can, you can practice when you feel defensive, looking at the situation and saying, okay, I realize I'm feeling defensive. My stomach is tightening up. That's, that's what happens to me. Or maybe, you know, you feel blood rushing to your neck. That also happens to me sometimes. Different people have different things. But you can notice that, and then you can say, okay, this is just a reaction that my brain is having, and that's different from the truth. And so let me actually think about the thing that this person said. How can I be better? How can I love my neighbor a little better? That is a habit that you can practice and you won't get it right every time, but you can take the habit that you didn't even realize you ever formed of defensiveness and you can work to change it into a habit of introspection and a habit of learning and a habit of loving your neighbor. That's a habit you can change. Now here's where it's gonna get a little funky. Uh, you've maybe heard of the idea of the singularity. Uh, the idea of the singularity is just that there will come a time when artificial intelligence is smart enough to, uh, to direct itself and eventually just like is on a runaway to, uh, to overtake the human race. Um, it's, it's, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It's certainly conceptually possible. But here's the thing that I think we don't realize. You know, we're, we're, we're very worried about intelligent machines and, uh, and machines becoming self-aware. We don't realize just how much we are, in a sense, robots. We certainly have programming. Our brains, I know, Charlie, I know. Our brains operate in a way that is really, really, really similar to the way that machine learning algorithms operate. Um, and, and that's because it's an efficient way to, to take in new information and to adapt to the world. Our brains are really just imitating the things that we see around us. They're, they're adjusting. They're saying, okay, this is what my environment requires. Let me do this. How do I do this in a way that, that conserves energy? Well, I do it by sort of building up the ability to do the same thing in the same situations. And when a situation comes my way, I can just immediately assign it. I don't need to think about it too hard. That's our programming. And we are robots with the ability to become self-aware. And I say the ability because I think most of us are not. I think most of us don't actually understand just how much we are governed by the habits that our brains have internalized long before we had the ability to think about them. Thank you, Charlie, for licking my scalp. And so we, we can, we are robots who can become self-aware and who can reprogram ourselves. That's the thing. 
it's, and it's not actually that hard. We have the ability, unlike any other animal that I know of, to understand our programming and to reprogram ourselves towards something better. And the only reason we don't do it is because we're defensive about it and because we are, I don't know, we're afraid of, of sort of giving up the the sense of power and individuality that we feel. Um, but it doesn't have to mean losing your individuality. I think probably we'll talk about that more when we come back, because Charlie needs to go to the dog park. Okay, I'll see you, uh, I'll see you real soon. Hi, friends. This is just a reminder that if you are enjoying this program, uh, I, I enjoy saying program sometimes, but I, that's not because that's how I pronounce it. That's because words and language are fluid. Um, but if you are enjoying uh, what's going on here, um, then uh, please uh, click the like thing or the subscribe thing, prefer especially the subscribe one. That'll make sure that you uh, don't miss an episode. Um, and also, if you are enjoying this, uh, please uh, share it with friends. Tell people that you enjoyed this. Um, you know, it's it's not so much a, like, sit down and focus on it thing. It's much more of a background noise thing, and I'm good with that. That's kind of, that's sort of what I'm going for. Uh, but if you, if, if, if you get the benefit, please share the benefit with others. That's, um, that's all it is. I, uh, I, I, I'm trying to put out a good message. It's not my message. It's a message that has been around forever. Um, but we tend to lose track of it when we get wrapped up in stories of, you know, individual greatness and superiority and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and I think we can all share a nice little message about how all of us have the potential to be good if we, um, if the environment uh, suits it. So let's, let's try to be good ourselves and, and show other people how to be good and try to build a better world. That would be great. And I guess what I'm saying is that my YouTube show is, is the thing to do that. I don't think it's the thing to do that. I think it's a thing that can be part of it's all, all of us need to, to be involved in it. This is my part. Anyway, share things, please. Great. Okay, hello, welcome back to the good world. Uh, so let's try to remember what I was saying before. Uh, we, Charlie and I just had a really lovely time at the dog park. Um, he is particularly interested in Clea because she gave him treats one time and now that's all he wants uh, because he's a dog and he's very, uh, it's not, I, I, I generally like to say it's not that he likes treats, it's that he likes flavors. Sort of anything with a flavor is something that um, will tend to really excite Charlie. Um, anyway, so yeah, let's come back to the self-aware robots. So, you know, the fact we, when, when we think of robots, we think of a bunch of, uh, you know, mindless machines that are all alike um, and are all like working together to, to take over humanity or whatever. Um, but if we, if you just change the way you think about it a little bit and sort of think of, think of a robot, think of a machine, think of a computer as something with programming that behaves according to its program. It basically takes, you know, it takes its, its built-in code and it takes the environment and it gives an output in response to the combination of the code and the environment. That is exactly what we human beings do. This actually connects um, to my uh, my regression digression from uh, whatever that was a week ago, something like that, um, where everything is about you know there's there's an interaction between two things plus randomness. Our, our we all have programming. That programming is 
the human brain, and it's an incredibly sophisticated program. It's far more sophisticated than, uh, than any code that any human being could write themselves. Um, but it is, it is programming, and it's an algorithm. And the algorithm is basically like, okay, when, when certain things happen in the environment, then I'm going to learn and update what, what I do. Um, and that updating is actually a really big part of it, right? Because our, the code in our brains doesn't just, doesn't just do the same thing again and again and again. Sometimes it does. But what the code in our brain can also do, you know, my, my example with, with sugar and salmon, right? Our brain, do I, okay, sorry, there were some cones, I was trying to figure out if it was construction that I wanted to go around, but it's fine, it is uh, off the side of the road. Um, also, sometime soon-ish, I am going to switch away from doing this while driving, because it, it doesn't feel great from, from a safety perspective or from a normative perspective. As much as anything, it was just about um, getting me to, to, to build up this habit and this practice of, uh, of recording this and sharing my thoughts and all of that. Um, and to, it's, it's a start. It's not, uh, it's not an end. There's, and it's, who knows what an end will look like and when it will happen. Actually, let's go this way. Um, see, what happened right there is that my brain switched from doing this show and talking about this show to having to put my attention on making a decision about which way to drive because attention and decision making take energy and so I couldn't easily transition from one to the other I had to stop what I was doing do the transition make the decision and then come back because that's how our brains work that's part of the program um, so what I was saying uh, about the the sugar is you know Brains are basically wired from a young age to sort of, when when we receive nutrition, our taste buds will evolve to view that thing as desirable. And you know, it's not always going to be exactly the same. There are predispositions. Um, I, uh, I I I know from all of my friends' babies that like babies have preferences, and so it doesn't mean that like you can give a baby anything and they will like it equally. Um, and partially that's because sort of our, our initial receptors are wired to do different things. Um, but you can also change them. There's a reason that acquired tastes are a thing that exists. There's a reason that, uh, that, uh, people who work professionally with wine can taste details in wine that a lot of the rest of us can't taste. Susie has a phenomenal palate. She can taste lots of little differences in wine and subtleties that are really, really just not things that I can pick up. Um, and it's taken me a while to learn it, but it's it's not, you know, it's not an act, it's not a put-on, it is genuinely, um, it's a skill that has been developed over time. And and it's not just a skill, it is literally just a, a, a connection in your nervous system between your taste buds and your brain. And so the, what the programming in our brain does is it adapts to things it mimics the environment and it sort of just figures out like, okay, what are things I'm gonna have to deal with a lot and what is a way for me to get better at dealing with them? And that combination of things is where it's really important because we are not at the mercy of our programming. We can shape our programming by giving our brains more exposure to the things we want it to do. And so if you're trying 
to, uh, if, if you are trying to be less angry, then practicing meditation is a way to give your brain more exposure to calm and to peace. And then your brain will get better at, at doing that more often without you having to implement it specifically. Um, and, you know, this kind of the, the technical term for it is neuroplasticity. Um, and it's, it's much easier when you're a kid. Kids' brains are much more flexible, but it, it, it's still there as an adult. Um, but the fact that it gets more difficult is why we have things like addiction and sort of difficulties overcoming it, um, and why you can even relapse after a really, really long time of sobriety, um, is because these, you, no matter how much you dull a habit, it will rarely go away, but you can increase certain habits relative to others. And so that's why the, the solution for changing a bad habit is less about changing that bad habit and finding something to substitute in its place that is not as bad. Um, and so we can, we can substitute our anger uh, and our defensiveness for calm and for, uh, for, for compassion um, and for understanding. Those are things that we can choose to practice and we can, we can choose to reprogram our brains away from defensiveness, away from violence, away from anger, and towards a, a higher level uh, enlightened understanding of the world and of ourselves and of each other. That is a choice that we have to make. And so coming back to what I was saying when I got to the dog park, you know, we think of robots as, as completely de-individualized, but what's amazing about human beings is we are programmed and we are, we are robots in a way, but we are self-aware robots who can shape our own programming towards whatever we want to be. And so we don't have to conform. We can be individuals, but being an individual doesn't have to mean being violent or being angry or being judgmental or being cruel. Being an individual can mean the difference between, you know, liking cheese and liking baseball. Uh, you can also do both. I like both cheese and baseball. For some people, it's a, it's a choice. That's also fine. But we have all of this freedom to choose who we are uh, and it, in, in ways that are, um, that are healing and, and that involve personal growth and that involve sort of mastery of a skill that we otherwise wouldn't have. But there are also hugely important systemic reasons that make that easier for some people than it is for others. And the people it is far and away easiest for are those of us who have resources, who have support. Um, and, and that means both emotional and, uh, and financial, right? Like I, I grew up with a fair amount of financial support and so that has given me a ton of freedom. I also, as a non-threatening straight white man, can walk around society without anyone feeling like they need to be defensive towards me and, and, and sort of going into a reactive, uh, you know, fight or flight headspace. There's a box on the road. Um, oh no, it's styrofoam. Um, so it is, I have a lot more leeway to practice these changes and to change my programming. And that's not because I'm better or smarter than anyone else. That's because I have the support that I need. And quite frankly, it wasn't just the financial support. It really wasn't until I hit my 30s and found a really good therapist and found a group of friends who, uh, well, I, my, my group of friends have always been supportive, um, but I have an additional group of friends. But I also found a partner 
who not only was able to support me, but who I was willing to, to let support me and who I was willing to support. Um, you know, people uh, who I dated before Susie, um, the, the reasons our relationships fit, I mean, there are always many reasons, but a huge part of it is that I didn't know how to love and trust anyone else because I didn't know how to love and trust myself. Um, and so being able to make these changes, being able to change your programming, you know, it's something that anyone can do, but it's so much easier if you have the support in place to do it because it takes energy, right? It takes, it takes mental and emotional energy and your brain is going to be resistant to using mental and emotional energy when your brain thinks it needs to use that energy to survive. And so the more you can be in, put in a position where you don't have to worry about your survival, the more able you will be to change your programming. And so what does that mean at a societal level? Well, that's the thing. We don't just have the ability to change our programming internally. Our society is programmed at a macro version of the same thing that we do. All of us are responding to the environment. And so the environment is a huge factor in our behavior, but we can choose to change the environment. And that's really hard to do because we're like, you know, we've, we've spent our entire lives thinking that the world is one way. And so taking the time to think about the ways that it could be different and the ways that it could be better and starting to live those is, that's, that's a big, uh, it's a big, I, I don't want to say commitment because it doesn't have to be a commitment, but it's a big action. Um, and even, you know, when I talk to my dad, who is 70, uh, 70, 71, 70, um, he, when I talk to him about these things, he is much more fatalistic than I am. And I understand that because in his life, this, the kind of change that I am trying to make has never happened. Look, it's never happened in my life either. But there is a huge difference between what human beings haven't done and what is impossible for human beings to do. In 1950, if you thought that human beings would not just visit the moon, but go back multiple times, that probably sounded crazy. If you thought we would create a technology where I could see someone in China and have a conversation with them face-to-face -face through a device, that would sound crazy. But human beings are incredible at figuring out how to do new things. And we have only really recently begun to understand the way that our brains work, both individually and in interaction with each other. And now that we know these things, we actually have the ability to make a lot of change. But what's really hard is it starts with ourselves. We, we have to accept what we can and what we can't change. And the thing that is far and away the easiest for us to change is ourselves. And even that is not easy, right? That is, that, it, as I have said repeatedly, it takes time, it takes work, it takes practice, it takes failure and getting back up from failure. So it's hard to do, but we can do it at our own individual level and we can do it at a societal level when we start to talk about the ways that th things could be different and start to model the ways that things could be different. Because quite frankly, all right, we're gonna get into like a little bit of social psychology here. Um, one of my favorite ideas from social psychology and the jargon the jargon is terrible because, you know, why why have a name for something that people can understand when you could just have a name that's completely inscrutable? So the, the jargon for it is, it's two kinds of norms. There's the, one is the injunctive norm. I think the other is the descriptive norm. Um, I believe that's right. And so the, 
and I don't remember which is which. Uh, which which tells you, by the way, how bad the jargon is, right? If you if you can't hear the jargon and kind of understand what it's talking about, then like maybe the terminology is not great. But here's what the idea is. The idea is there are norms that are created by words and there are norms that are created by our actions. And both of those things are important and both of those things have a huge impact. And so the example I like to use is, let's say I am on the internet and I encounter a neo-Nazi and that feels very threatening to me um, due to my family history. Uh, and so let's say my response, I know Charlie, I know we're home. Uh, I'm going to let Charlie out and keep talking because I have a little more to say. And I, and I don't want Charlie to feel sad. Okay, come on. Yeah, let's take your leash off and I'll let you go inside. And then I'll come right back. Okay, come on, boss. I know, I know, beep, beep, beep. Yes, beep, beep, beep. Okay, social norms. Uh, so the I can my car off. So the uh, so it's words versus actions, right? And so the example I was uh, I was starting to go with is let's say I'm on the internet. There's a neo-Nazi. They say something. Uh, anti-Semitic to me, and my response is something I've talked about a lot, right? You're a scumbag. You're a real piece of shit. Uh, you know, you're you're pure evil. Anti-Semitism is evil. I can't believe you would be so evil. All of those things. Here's what happens when I do that. There are two things. The one we tend to think about when we're doing it ourselves is I am saying I am giving voice to the norm that anti-Semitism is evil. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a, a bad thing. Um, Anti-Semitism uh, can do a whole lot of harm, and I can't think of an example where it's done anything good. Any kind of hatred of an entire group, uh, I, I cannot think of a good example, um, and I can think of a lot of harmful examples. Um, but the, the thing that we don't think about is the other part of the norm that we're reinforcing is the actions norm, and that is basically us saying violence, it, it is us modeling emotional violence for other people, right? It is us showing, oh, here's what you do when you see a bad person, you treat them with disgust and outrage and cruelty and emotional violence. Um, and it's such a strong instinct um, because it comes, it comes from the defensive part of our brain. But what that ends up doing is creating a model where anyone else who's looking at that is internalizing, without even thinking about it, the idea that bad people, whoever they are, should be treated with disdain and disgust uh, and shame and emotional violence. And what ends up happening is that a lot of people take that interaction and they just, you know, maybe they do internalize the idea that anti-Semitism is bad, but they also internalize that violence and they just take it with them and take it out on someone else. Because a huge part of what we do is we just mirror the things that we, we see other people do, right? That, that is another huge part of our programming, and it's a way that our, our brains respond to the environment, is just by 
It's it's fully a monkey see, monkey do, right? We see someone do something, our brain says, okay, that is the way to behave in that situation, and so that's how we behave in that situation. And what ends up happening is that over time, the anger is not just direct... First off, you know, the, the reason that people become anti-Semitic isn't that they are... Uh, evil or a piece of shit. It's it's that something has happened in their lives to make them feel that that is the right path. Um, and it's, I don't think it's the right path, but I think if we want to get them on the right path, we need to show them where it is instead of just telling them that they're bad. But it's also the case that the more you practice that anger, the more your brain is going to carry it over to other situations. And so even in a situation where, I mean, this is something that Susie and I have had to work through a bunch in our marriage, is sometimes sometimes the things we say to each other sound like a thing that someone else said once in a really shitty way. And so that becomes a vehicle and a, and a justification for anger and for, um, for, let's call it emotional violence, right? For just like, you know, yelling at each other. Uh, I mean, we don't, we don't do a whole lot of that. Um, but it's, there is, there is a degree of it that is, uh, that is there and, and it, it translates into anything right in the moment your brain starts to think, Oh, my job is to identify evil and shout it down and, uh, and destroy it and lash out at it. The more your brain looks for things to categorize as evil so that it can do violence to them. And even if you think you have pretty good judgment about what is evil at the outset, sooner or later you're just going to start attacking people um, because it feels like justice to you. And so that is a way that our behavior, in addition to our words, changes things, right? The more we model anger for each other, the more we model emotional warfare for each other, the more emotional warfare there's going to be. And what I think all of us really want, and and we think it's the reason we're fighting these emotional wars, uh, and not just emotional wars, um, but what we really want is peace. And, you know, we, we can't have peace until there's justice, and that's, that is a whole complicated thing, but you're not going to create peace through more violence. It, it just doesn't work that way. And it doesn't mean silence, right? It doesn't mean just accepting cruelty, um, but it means talking about it without responding in kind, which is, again, really, really hard to do and is something that our brains have been trained not to do. And so that is a huge part of why reprogramming our own brains is the most important place we can start. Because once we start to reprogram our own brains, then we model for behavior for other people that helps reprogram society. And once we do that, there's really no telling how good a world we can have. But the only way we can do that is if we start reprogramming ourselves and work on helping other people reprogram themselves. And again, reprogramming ourselves doesn't mean getting in, rid of your individuality. It means choosing your individuality. It means finding it. It means freedom. That is what freedom is, is the ability to set yourself free from the things that drag you down and from the anger and the, the constant feeling that you need to fight to survive and struggle to survive, all of that tension that you feel in yourself all the time, freedom is setting yourself free from that. And freedom is setting other people free from that too. There's, there is a lot that we can do for ourselves, but at the same time, there is only so much we can do for ourselves if we're not helping each other also. And so that's what it's all about. We are the robots. This is the singularity. Boo!
right? But it's true. We have programming. We can see our programming. We can change our programming. We can use our changed programming to change our collective programming. And that is it. That's all we need to do. We are the robots. We can choose to become self-aware. And we can choose to reprogram ourselves in a better direction. And we don't mostly either because we don't realize or because we've been told it's impossible. And I am here to tell you, first off, you can realize it. And second, it is possible. It's not easy and it's not as big a thing as we would like, right? We would love to be able to wave a magic wand and make the entire world better. We, none of us individually have the power to do that. What we do have the power to change is ourselves, or if we don't because the system is too hard on us, um, then... There are people like me who have the power to change ourselves and then also change the system. Uh, and and that is sort of... So individual responsibility is a term that gets thrown out, thrown around a lot. And to me, that is the meaning of individual responsibility. Individual responsibility is not about telling other people that their problems are their own and don't affect you. Individual responsibility is about taking charge of what you can control in your own life and really choosing to make your own life better to the extent that it is possible, um, and, and choosing to reprogram yourself in a way that will put you in a position where you can help other people reprogram them, themselves. Individual responsibility isn't about our distance from each other. It is about figuring out what we can do for each other as an individual. You know, I've said before that I think... Bad ideas are never used for harm. Only good ideas are used for harm because they get twisted. Because if it weren't a good idea, no one, no one would listen to it in the first place. But you can take a good idea, like individual responsibility, and you can twist it to use it as a means to shut someone else down. And shutting someone else down is just... It, it is never... It is never an effective approach. It is never a solution to the problem. It is... Um, it is a way to avoid the problem. Uh, and you know, if, if the person you're shutting down is, uh, is a neo-Nazi, um, the alternative isn't to just let them spew a bunch of anti-Semitic, uh, nonsense. It's, it's to try to talk to them and to try to listen to them. And I know... I want to be really clear here. I am not saying if you are traumatized that it is your responsibility to talk to the traumatizer. Uh, I am saying that if someone is behaving in a way that is cruel to other people and you, like me, have a position are, are in a position where it is not traumatizing to you to just engage with them and to try to figure out where their pain is really coming from, um, you, you have the ability to help if you can. Um, but it's not about your responsibility, your obligation any of that. Your, your responsibility is to figure out how to take care of yourself so that you can, so that you can live a life of peace. It is not, it is not your responsibility to bring peace to other people. But if you have the ability to have that peace within yourself, you have an opportunity to help other people find peace, even if they are currently caught in what they think is a war for the soul of humanity. Because that's most of what it is, right? They've, they've been taught to think that they're, I mean, Something we've seen a bunch of lately is, uh, is like great replacement nonsense, which is basically the idea that, uh, demographic change is part of a conscious decision by some mystical force somewhere to, to 
erase white people from America or Europe or wherever. Uh, and, you know, the idea that demographic change is anything but a constant throughout history is a little absurd and is, uh, is, is honestly just a little intellectually lazy. And again, our brains are wired to be intellectually lazy, so I understand why that is. But the idea that we are in a war for our survival is something that our, it, it really resonates in our brains, right? Survival instinct is the core of what is in our brains. And so it is, it is not surprising that that narrative would be appealing to people and that it, it would really take hold. But if, if we try to destroy the people who have come to believe in that narrative, all we're doing is reinforcing the narrative. Um, and the narrative is, is nonsense. People everywhere are just trying to live their lives. That's all people have ever been trying to do. And they're different kinds of people from all kinds of places, and they look different, and it's fine. Because, because populations change across centuries. That's just how the world works. Cultures change across centuries. That's just how the world works. And if something in your culture is really good, then, good news, it'll, it, it'll survive. And if something in your culture is harmful, then maybe it's okay if it goes away. All of us, are, <laughs> there's no avoiding the fact that all of us are going to die, right? It's just, it's just truth and we don't need to, we don't need to constantly fight it. But when we, when we see ourselves as warriors against a class of people who are our enemies, all we do is harm, all we do is violence. And that's, that's in the programming. That is a base level decision in the code. And it is a thing that we can turn off. We can be the singularity. We can be the self-aware robots who say, you know what? I am done fighting. I am going to work for justice and I'm going to work for peace and I'm going to work for equality and I am going to stand in my place in this world, but I am not going to tear down my neighbor. I am going to love my neighbor and I'm going to do my best to make sure that my neighbor is loved, to make sure that all of my neighbors are loved. I'm not going to, to identify categories of my... Uh, of my fellow humans, my neighbors, my brothers, my sisters, my siblings. I'm not going to identify categories of them and treat them as inferior, because they're not. They're God's children. They're just people. And we spend all of this time fighting each other for no reason. And we could have so much better a world if we can look and just say that the fighting doesn't solve anything. It may solve one discrete aspect of a large problem, but the rest of that problem is going to blow the fuck up. We can reprogram ourselves with practice. And that is a hard thing to do, and it takes time, and it takes work. But it is worth it, and it will be so much worth it. Uh, it will be so very worth it if we can get to a place where enough of our enough of us are doing it to, to really make change. Um, one of my guests I have talked with on this show one time was uh, Dr. Aaron Baker, who is a fucking awesome human being. Um, and one of the things she talks about is ROI is not return on investment, it's ripples of impact. How, how are the things that you are doing rippling out to have an impact, to change, to make change for other people, to influence other people for the better. And that's a thing that all of us can do. None of us can on our own make big enough waves to change everything, but all of us can create ripples that reach other people who create other ripples. 
It's all webs within webs. That's the thing I've said before, but it's true. It's a whole big ecosystem. And when we fight each other, we poison the ecosystem. And the fighting is in our programming. But we can stop when we reprogram ourselves. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little redundant, uh, and it's lunchtime. Um, so I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to come back, and we'll do some meditation practice, which, guess what, is a huge way that I work on reprogramming myself, and you can too. All right, uh, I'll talk to you soon, self-aware robots. Please like and subscribe. 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 Hi, welcome back to The Good World. Uh, my hair is doing some really fun things. One thing I'm very excited for about uh, getting vaccinated is getting a haircut and a beard trim. Uh, don't worry, it's not going to go away that much. But like, it needs, it could use some. This could use some wrangling. In it's a little. It's getting to be a little much. <laughs> or is it? Or is it exactly perfect? And it is everything that I should ever be. I don't know. It's some. It's somewhere in between those two points. Um. Welcome back. Uh, I, my, uh, time in between the end of the last video now got a little bit, uh, delayed because I, uh, got a phone call from, uh, one of my closest friends who I haven't spoken to in a while, and so we had a nice little, little catch-up. Uh, and so now I need to do, I, I don't, uh, I need to kind of either pick up the thread or just keep going. Um, I don't know, the, the... Let's just stick with the self-aware robot thing. Um, so the, honestly, the, the idea, um, sort of popped into my head, um, a, one of my former roommates, um, shout out to Dessa, uh, one night when we were, uh, in our lovely house in Northwest DC, um, Dessa had a dream that she informed me about the next day, uh, in which all she remembered was sort of, she woke up speaking aloud and what she said was, the robots have become self-aware. Uh, and, you know, it was just kind of, it was just funny, and there's also, obviously, there's a lot of, like, plenty of sci-fi movies that, uh, and books that take that plot and run with it. Um, but there was a day, at some point last year, when Dessa and I were catching up, um, and I sort of had this moment of, like, you know, I, I was, she asked me how I was doing and I was just kind of like, I feel kind of like I am a robot who is becoming self-aware. Um, and everything that I've been saying sort of throughout this episode, I think is, is what I meant by that. Um, but it really, uh, we all, we are all robots and it's sort of up to us whether, whether we become self-aware. Um, and so what I, uh, just want to remind you of and encourage you, uh, about is that you, you can, um, you can change and the world can change. Uh, it is a, a thing that is really common, um, for, for people who have depression and especially when dealing with depressive episodes, which is something I know a fair amount about from my own experience, um, is the tendency to think that, 
you you go from a place of things are bad to to a a sense of permanence. You go from things are bad to things will always be bad. This thing that I am unhappy about will always be there. It will never get better. Um, and it's so easy to fall into that, and it is especially easy to fall into that when the world is freaking collapsing, when there is a global pandemic that's killing people, when our systems that are supposed to protect us are murdering innocent civilians uh, all the time. Um, that was an uncomfortable laugh. That was not a, it's funny. Um, there is, there is so much violence and, and it's not just violence, right? It all comes from this much higher cultural level of, of, of a survival instinct of a belief that in order for us to survive, we need to dominate everyone else. That's the only thing that will keep us safe. Um, and I, think I am living proof that it's not true as long as our basic needs are met. Um, I, I genuinely believe that we can have a really wonderful world if we meet people's basic needs and stop, stop fighting for space because there's plenty of resources to go around. There is a ton of space. The, the, the planet is constantly making food for us to eat. It's giving us resources to, to live in. There is more than enough for all of us to share um, if we stop acting like uh, like everyone else is a threat to us just because they also want their basic needs met. So, uh, immutability, right? The, 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 we have this fear that, um, that the things that are bad are always going to be bad. And the world right now really reinforces that fear. Um, and so I want, if you are feeling that, if you are afraid, if you think that this, uh, nightmare is forever, that's a completely human, reasonable, understandable reaction to a completely insane, violent, terrifying, and unjust world. Um, but the world has things that are, um, that are, that are not terrifying and that are not unjust. And I think the more that all of us can train ourselves, can reprogram our brains to, uh, to be grateful for and appreciative of, of the kingdom of God all around us, um, and stop fighting for survival, um, the better off we will be. And, and what's hard about that is that fighting for survival is a thing that is sometimes real, um, but not all, it, it's, it's sometimes real and it's sometimes imagined and it's sometimes somewhere in between those two things. Um, but it comes from, even when it's imagined, it always comes from a real experience. So like in my, in my situation, you know, I have never really encountered much anti-Semitism, but it would be understandable if the slightest hint of anti-Semitism sent me into survival mode because of the experiences that my grandmother had that my mom internalized and that I subsequently internalized in some ways and, and was able to work through in others. But that, that fear and that, that desperation always comes from a real place. And the choice isn't whether or not to feel it. The choice is what we do next. The choice isn't the feeling. The choice is the action. And the action can either be a reaction where we just are controlled by our fear, or the action can be a constructive move to build something better. It can be breathing through our fear and bridging our divides with each other and talking to each other and standing up honestly and firmly for who we are and for our place in the world and for everyone else's place in the world. All of us deserve a place here. All of us deserve an opportunity to thrive. And all of us would benefit in a world where that happens. And so as, as much as it feels like we are stuck in this hellscape forever, human beings can change, right? That's, that's the message of the whole thing. 
we can change. It starts with a decision to change, and then it continues from practicing that change. And when we practice, sometimes it's going to get away from us. Sometimes we're going to fail. And the key is to just get back out there the next day and try again. And if you fail a few days in a row, to get back out there anyway and try again. All we can do is recognize our programming and change it in the way that we know works um, and trust that it'll work. And, and once we trust ourselves, once we, once we believe enough in ourselves and sort of show ourselves that it's possible for us to change, we can show other people that it's possible to change. Um, I really wish, so something I did when I worked in politics was I set my tweets to auto delete after a certain amount of time, because with a career in politics, especially it's a very scandal driven culture. Um, and so, you know, if, if someone wants to weaken your position or weaken your campaign or whatever, then they will dig through your old tweets and find a time you said something shitty, find a time that you sort of you know, uh, gave into, gave into your reactions, gave into, into your feelings, um, which all of us have. Not all of us have a record of it online, but all of us do that sometimes. And so I set all of my tweets to auto delete. And I now really wish that I hadn't because some of the things that I said to people were horrible. They were really cruel. They were really mean. They were belittling. Um, and from my perspective, they were hilarious and they were, you know, me exerting power. But all they did was take someone who didn't understand me and make them think that I hated them and had no interest in understanding them. And so what, what, why would they bother to understand me? And I wish all of that was still up there, not because it was good and because I'm proud of it. I'm not. I wish it was still up there as an example of how we can change, even over a short period of time, even across days, weeks, months, let alone years. We can change from, from, being, from being the bully we think we're, we need to be to being the healer all of us can be. All of us can be both of those things. Um, and whether we do it is, is a combination of our programming and a choice to overcome the programming. Um, and I've said it before, I'll, I'll never stop saying it. It's easier for me to overcome the programming because the world isn't constantly devaluing me the way it does other people. Um, you know, we're, we're in a moment right now where yet again, um, another black person going about his life was, was murdered by police. Uh, and you know, generally the way we talk about this is either police are bad or criminals are bad and there's no in between. Um, but the reality is everyone is just people and police are, police have in a lot of places and cases been trained to view every interaction as a threat. And so if you've been listening to this show, if you think an interaction is a threat, you're going to be really defensive. You're going to be really on guard and you're probably going to be much more easily provoked to violence. And so if you go into an interaction expecting that the person might try to kill you and you have a gun, you might be a little more likely to kill them, whether or not they actually deserve it as though the idea that someone can deserve to be murdered is, is, plausible and not just a reaction to our insane violent society. Oh, there's Charlie. <laughs> Charlie and Susie are going for a walk. Here, I can even... There's Charlie. There's Susie. Say hi, Susie. Hello. Are you on the... I'm trying to get in the car now. Hello. <laughs> that's true. Hi. <laughs> hi. Hi. Yes, that's your pause. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Human, where are we going? No, Charlie, you're just going on a walk and I'm going to sit here and meditate. Yeah, 
on. Bye, Dots. You're okay. <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a, that was a, a digression at a, at a kind of unfortunate uh, bit of timing, but also it like does line up with things I've been saying before about how the world will throw uh, good things and bad things at you nonstop. Um, but uh, just to just to finish that thought, you know, the idea that sorry, got a notification. Um, the idea that someone can deserve to die and that we are qualified to judge that is absurd and is just talk about a narrative that we've inherited right we've we've never really we don't we don't actually stop to think whether um whether it makes sense to kill people because we're afraid of them uh and whether that does any good um because it doesn't because violence just leads to more violence even if you can identify one specific good thing that came out of an act of violence you will miss dozens more that do a lot of harm and that's that's the thing that I've come to realize, right? And that's that's why I have changed my behavior in terms of bullying people on the internet. Because even though that's not physical violence, it's still emotional violence, and it still came from a place of me trying to assert my own status over someone, as opposed to trying to understand someone and trying to communicate myself in a way that they could understand. Because even emotional violence, even anonymous online violence, is poison to the entire ecosystem of of our whole social. Uh, web within the web within the web. I feel like there was more that I was going to say about, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, it is so, it is so understandable to be angry because there is so much to be angry about. And we can't ignore the anger. And we can't just glide past it, you know, and I, and I often sort of talk about, uh, getting over our anger and, and, uh, you know, I talk about it in a way that is a little, a little glib and a little, a little shorthanded, but that takes work and it takes a lot of emotional energy. Um, but it's also necessary emotionally, emotional energy, because otherwise we can't do anything. We're just held captive and controlled by our fear and by our instinct for preservation and for survival. And so, in my view, the single most important thing, single most, one very important thing we can do for our society is, where possible, take our own steps towards de-escalating the level of tension, the level of anger, the level of, uh, of, of, of survival instinct. Not, not to end the conversation, but to start the conversation. Because as long as we're shouting at each other, we're not listening to each other. And... People like me, people who have grown up, you know, straight and white and male, um, and, and with money, uh, and access to power, um, we can stand to do a whole lot more listening. And when we spend our time insisting that we're just doing what we're supposed to, or that someone else is bad and they deserve what they get, because we deserve what we get, because really the world is just, and how could you ever question that all of the, the things that I have might not be earned? I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. Right? That's what we do. We, and, and you can see by the end of that, it turns into, it's defensiveness. It's not... It's not reality and it's not listening. We can all get better at listening to each other. Um, and people like me in particular can get better at listening to people who are not like me. Uh, because the world, you know, the world hasn't been easy for me. It hasn't been easy for anyone. Um, 
But the fact that it hasn't been easier for you doesn't mean we should make it harder for other people. Doesn't mean that people need to suffer just to justify your existence. We don't need to suffer this much. None of us do. There is an amount of suffering that's always going to exist in the world, right? There's a, uh, I don't even remember where it's from. It might be biblical. It might not. Um, I know it from the play Arcadia by Tom Stoppard, um, theater kid. Uh, but there's, there's, there's a story, a myth about Arcadia, which is basically the Garden of Eden, paradise. And people are, uh, are, have entered Arcadia and it's beautiful and there are trees and fruits and rivers and everything is wonderful. And they kind of are exploring and they get to the back and there's some stone that's sort of covered up by ivy. And so they pull aside the ivy and on the stone, they see that it's a gravestone and there's a skull and it says, et in Arcadia ego. I apologize. My Latin pronunciation is I, I am not an ancient Roman, nor uh, am I a, a Catholic priest. So my, uh, I, I apologize for my Latin pronunciation. But et in Arcadia ego means, literally it means, and in Arcadia, I am. I am. Uh, more more in, sort of conceptually translated, it means, even in paradise, here's death. Right? Even in this paradise that we live in, the kingdom of God that we all live in, there is death. There is just, there is just natural pain and tragedy and grief that happens. And we often seem to feel that because we live in a world where some suffering is inevitable, then we should get to cause it ourselves too. It makes us feel better if we're suffering and we can make someone else suffer. Misery loves company, right? But all that, all that happens is they turn around and they're suffering and they make someone else suffer or they make you suffer back. It never actually ends the pain. It just keeps going in an endless cycle. And we are in paradise. And even in paradise, there is death. Even in paradise, there is suffering. But we can accept it and process it without causing more of it, without feeding it. We can feed and nourish a better society if we recognize that we are robots who are programmed to react to our own suffering by causing suffering and make a decision to reprogram ourselves away from that and practice the path of peace that will get us to truly live in the kingdom of God. Really, really get to, to that idea. Really get to heaven on earth. Because we can have it. And we deserve it. You deserve it. Um... I deserve it too but not more than anyone else. I deserve it as much as anyone does. We all deserve it. But the only way we get there is if we stop being defensive, stop, stop fighting for uh, our stories that we are afraid to question and practice questioning and practice listening and practice sharing. It's all part of it. <sighs> okay. That seems like a good moment to turn to the meditation. Plus, who knows when uh, Susie and Charlie are going to get back. So I'm going to do a 10-minute meditation. You're going to, when I start it, you're going to hear this bell. Uh, and then 10 minutes are going to pass, and then you'll hear the bell again. Uh, in between, what I am going to do is I am going to sit here uh, just with my hands in my lap, and I'm going to breathe uh, slowly, calmly. Uh, and I'm going to, as I sit here, I'm going to think to myself, I follow my breath all the way in. And when I breathe out, I'm going to think to myself, I follow my breath all the way out. And I'm just going to do that. And I'm going to do it over and over. And what that is, is about reprogramming my brain to 
tune out the feelings and just focus. Um, it doesn't it doesn't get rid of the feelings, but it sort of dulls them. So you can choose what to focus on when. Because it is it is important to focus on our grief sometimes, and it is important to focus on our anger. You know, learning l learning to practice peace does not mean denying our anger or our fear or our pain. It means the opposite. It means listening to it and saying, yes, yes, I acknowledge you. Yes, I see that you are there. I feel your fear. I feel your anger. I feel where that comes from. I feel the real pain and the real uh, causes all around you in your environment that are making you feel afraid and making you feel angry. And it says that in spite of that fear and anger, I am. what I am going to do is instead of, of using that against other people, I am going to hold my anger and I am going to stand strong and continue practicing love. And again, it's a practice. It's not, it is, it is not a one-time thing. It is a practice over time and you get better at it over time. That's my one promise to you. That's, that is the secret to your brain. The more you practice something, the better you will get at it. At any age, you can go from terrible at something to pretty good at something to maybe even wonderful at it. But the only way you do that is by practicing. So this is my practice. This is how I practice peace. And, uh, you know, you can do it for you. If it works for you, you can do something else if something else works for you. But I would encourage you to find some kind of practice, um, that, that makes you feel more peaceful and makes you, um, gives you, gives you a strong enough, uh, armor, not, not to block everything out, but, but to hold your pain and keep going. Cause that's, that's the best any of us can do at any time. Um, and, and we're all failing constantly. Um, I actually just, a uh, little more detour before I come back to the meditation, but just on my call just now with my friend, Matt, um, one of the things he was talking about is how, uh, there was a consultant who came to his law firm and sort of talked to the managers. And one of the things that they mentioned is that Literally everyone is always doing their best at any time. And so if, a, if someone if, that you are managing gives you a work product that is bad, that is not what you want them to do, um, they, they did the best they could under the circumstances of the moment. And so something you can do as a manager is try to help them figure out what, what needs they had that weren't being met what role there may or may not be for you, right? If they, if they don't know how to do something, you can show them how to do it. Um, but so often when someone fails to meet our expectations that we put on them, we get really angry in, in social psychology. The definition of frustration is the gap between expectations and reality. And frustration is something we all know. And it's, it sucks. It's a terrible feeling. Um, and part of the way we can make that better is by getting the, away from the idea of expecting people to do something and start moving towards seeing what they can do. And once we see what they can do, we try to figure out how we can maybe encourage them to do certain things a little better if we know how. And it's such a, it's such a true thing that applies not just to work, but to any aspect of your life. Everyone is just doing the best they can at any moment. Um, and I even, I said to Matt, you know, it's not, if your, if your associate, uh, sends you a memo and it's bad, they didn't do a bad job because fuck you. And he was like, well, look, maybe they did do a bad job because fuck me, but then it's my job as, as their manager. And it's also just a thing I can do to, to look at the situation and say, well, how did I get to a point where the employee says, fuck me? 
And what can I do to change that? And, and that's all any of us can hope for from ourselves and from each other in this chaotic, insane, alternatingly violent and horrifying and beautiful and magical world that we live in. Um, is just to be doing our best and to recognize that everyone else is doing their best and to try to help each other and lift each other up a little bit. That's all any of us can do. Uh, and so one way that I do that is with practicing meditation, and that's why I share it on here every episode. Um, and so I'm going to do it again. Ten minutes, uh, follow my breath all the way in, follow my breath all the way out. It's it's both about sort of calming... Um, it, it's, it reinforces the, I want to say, simp, uh, parasympathetic nervous system. Boy, jargon. I can never remember the difference between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous systems. Uh, but one of them is the part that, like, it's the fight or flight. It's the survival, the agitation. And the other one is the calming, the peace, the, the love, and the happiness. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to practice uh, soothing our nervous system and, and reinforcing, because again, the way we reprogramming, the way we reprogram things isn't as much about stopping the anxious nervous system. It's about practicing and, uh, uh, reinforcing the, the, the soothing nervous system. So that's, that is what meditation is for. It's also useful for, if you have severe ADHD like me, it's very useful for, uh, for keeping yourself back on a topic. I talked about this a little yesterday, but like if your mind wanders, it's also a practice for just coming back. So I'm going to sit here, going to, going to do the, the thing. And when my wa mind wanders inevitably as it will, uh, I'm just sooner or later, I will notice that my mind has wandered for the first minute or two of mind wandering. I may not, but as soon as I notice it, I'm just going to gently say, Oh, okay. My mind wandered and come right back to, I follow my breath all the way in. I follow my breath all the way out. Um, <laughs> I really probably shouldn't record this after lunch. I always have so many burps for these. Um, the, uh, other thing that I, uh, the, the standard spiel that I got here, uh, is, um, if you're, if, you know, if you're listening to this while you're doing something else, um, and, and you therefore are not able to join me in meditation, that's totally fine. If you want to, you can skip, no judgment. Um, if you want to stick around, I will say that even if, even if you can't sit and close your eyes and meditate with me, there is benefit to you and to your brain of having 10 minutes of silence and just trying to keep your attention on what you're doing. And whenever your mind wanders, you know, if you're chopping vegetables, you can think to yourself, I'm chopping vegetables. Vegetables, I'm chopping vegetables. You can even identify I'm chopping carrots, I'm chopping celery, whatever you're doing. Uh, and inevitably when your brain starts going, oh, I wonder what's on TV later today. Or, you know, I wonder how uh, my buddy Shlomi is doing with his uh, shmageggy. Uh, <laughs> in imaginary Yiddish land, all words start with shma. Um... <laughs> When your brain goes to that point, uh, you recognize it and you just come right back to, I'm chopping carrots, I'm chopping celery, whatever you're doing. Um, mindfulness practice is just a really good way. It, it is, it is the key to reprogramming your brain, right? It is the key to becoming a robot who is self-aware and who is reprogramming ourselves. So, uh, let's, let's fucking do it. Let's do some meditation. Fuck yeah, meditation. Uh, it's, it's always fun to curse and also talk about meditation. Um, but that's what we're going to do. Uh, I am going to stop this video and I'm going to start it again because it's approaching half an hour and there's a whole thing where, um, 
uh, video recording equipment is not able to record for more than half an hour in a single take um, because of tax laws, because the EU at some point decided to put a tax on uh, on camcorders, and it was like, okay, how do you define a camcorder? Well, anything that can record video for over half an hour. So we've long since passed the point where technologically cameras and phones are capable of doing it, um, but a lot of them won't because then they would have to pay extra taxes on their sales in Europe. Isn't economics great? <laughs> Uh, unintended consequences. Uh, anyway, we're going to stop, and then I'm going to come back, and then we're going to keep going, and, uh, and we'll meditate. Uh, see you in a minute. Hi, I am back. Oh, my... Did you hear... I don't know if you heard that. My body just made a sound. That's... That also comes with, uh... Comes with aging and just, uh... Ashkenazi Jewish stomach. It's all kinds of things. Uh, but my body made a sound, and it was a little hilarious, so I kind of hope you got to hear it, but also if you're easily grossed out, I hope you didn't. Um, anyway, we're going to meditate now. Uh, got my, got my Insight Timer app all set up, so I'm just going to push start. Oh, this is going to be interesting. I kind of have to pee, and I already pushed start, so no stopping now. We got nine seconds. Uh, I will see you in ten minutes, after which I will really have to pee. Okay, <laughs> great.
<laughs> Sorry, I'm looking because it really felt like something landed on my head. I wasn't sure what it was. Um, the good news is that I, uh, my, <laughs> my need to pee went away pretty quickly. Um, but I had this itch in my nose that lasted for a lot of those 10 minutes. Anyway, <laughs> uh, meditation, always a new experience. Um, and there may or may not have been a fly on my head, uh, somewhere around minute nine of that. <sighs> oh, being human is <laughs> such an absurd experience. Um, well, oh look, my lighting is, uh, has put me in shadow. I guess that means it's time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's our way of, of knowing that it's time to call it a day. Thank you for watching The Good World. Uh, if you are enjoying, uh, what, what is going on here, then please, uh, subscribe to it and share it and do all the, do all the digital ecosystem whatever things. Tech World! <laughs> Having some animal, sorry, just a, just a llama in my throat, just a, Okay, bye.